Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. All right. Timothy. He was a young dude. A little bit about him. He had a Gentile mother, father, excuse me, and his mother was Jewish, um, and he was raised in the faith. He grew up uh, under the influence of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, um, and they were known by Paul. He mentions them in one of his letters. Uh, and because of his Jewish heritage, when he began ministering with Paul, Uh, Paul thought it would be a good idea for him not to be a stumbling block to the Hebrew people that he was, that they were ministering to. So he went ahead and uh, suggested that he get circumcised at an older age. Uh, So he was pretty committed to the work, to the ministry. Um, Paul commends Timothy over and over in scripture, and we'll see that. Um, So before we get too far into the study, I will say, for those of you who have grown up in a Christian home, going to church, um, Timothy should be an inspiration. He is is for me. I know I I grew up uh, following Christ at a young age, and uh, I've always looked to to Timothy, somebody who who was raised in that situation. Um, And I think when you're when you've been a believer for so long, it's easy to, to doubt uh, what God will do, do in you as you see people who get saved and you see this amazing conversion and their lives turned around. And I would encourage those of you who grew up knowing the Lord that Timothy did. And you can't, you can't assume that God won't use you because uh, he obviously used Timothy. And I would give a, a, a warning to those, you know, myself included, raising children in, in the Christian faith, not to, not to assume that the Lord is going to use them because they're growing up in a Christian home, but to make sure that uh, they know who the Lord is and um, decide to follow him, just like Timothy did. Um, maybe not so dramatic, getting circumcised. Um, but... Nevertheless. All right, the letter. This is the first epistle written to Timothy. It's one of three letters called Pastorals. Um, it includes First and Second Timothy and Titus. So they're written to mainly to pastors, to ministers of the faith. Um, just a little background before we dig into the scripture of the letter itself. Scholars actually debate whether Paul wrote the letter. Uh, it's up... I guess it's up to you to look look up if you uh, are interested in that sort of thing. Um, they cite that the letter has some different language and a different writing style than Paul was used to. Um, however, I feel it's, it's just my opinion that Paul wrote this letter simply because he's writing it to Timothy, to somebody that he knew very well and intimate. And it, it, if you think about when you're speaking in front of a group of people or you know speaking to a church, your language and your style is going to be a little bit different than if you are 
talking to, you know, a close personal friend, sending them an email or something like that. So to me, that doesn't hold a lot of water that just because it's a different style that it wasn't written from ball, but there are a lot of other smarter people that believe differently. So I'll leave that up to you to decide. So it was either written in scholars think either 130 AD, if you don't believe that Paul wrote it or uh, towards the end of Paul's ministry in either in the late sixties to the seventies AD. So chapter one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, By the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. So we're going to take a look here at Romans 11, 28, 33. Paul talking about that commandment of God um, on his life, his call into ministry. And I'm just going to read this. You guys don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But concerning the gospel... They are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. And that's referring to Hebrews in this letter. Um, For the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out. So here Paul, right off the bat, is saying that God has commanded him, given him a commandment into the ministry to, to serve the gospel, to preach to the Gentiles. Uh, and one other interesting thing to note in that verse there, that... Uh, of our God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. And that we bank, as Christians, everything on Christ. And He is the end of our faith, you know, seeing Him being in His presence. Um, and that should really give us hope. So, verse 2, To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, in Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. So we're going to stop there. The purpose of Timothy remaining in Ephesus was to keep the believers in line with biblical gospel and doctrine. And I think that's a good warning for us. It's very easy as Christians, after a while of knowing the Lord, uh, digging into the gospels, finding out who Jesus is, uh, to get distracted and go down rabbit holes. Uh, I know as a person myself, that's easy for me to do. Uh, whether I'm studying or at work, I get distracted by something and I'm off and who knows where, thinking about it or distracted. I think that happens to us as Christians, as believers, and we need to be aware of that happens. You know, some common things to get distracted by are, you know, studying end times, um, politics, Bible-based money schemes. These things, they're okay. Uh, And they're okay to know. But... The whole point of 
the Bible, the whole point of the Christian faith is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the whole point of knowing the Bible is to draw nearer to him and to know who he is. So we have to be you know, aware and cautious for ourselves uh, not to get distracted um, from the main message. And I think you know, we have this intense desire to be accepted, to impress each other. Um, but we have to remember that Jesus has already accepted us. He knows who we are. And we should really strive to be pleasing him and to be focusing on, on him and not impressing each other. You know, and uh, when we come to church, that's the place to do this. That's the place to get encouraged, um, not to spout off, to impress each other with our facts, with our figures. It's good to talk about. Like I said, it's okay. It's not bad if you're talking about that, those things. But if you're really focusing, I would just caution you and remind you that you know the the place of church in our in the believer's life is for corporate worship to encourage one another, to love one another, and ultimately to have an encounter with Christ. So, it's good to remember that we're strangers, that we're not long here on this earth, that we're moving on. All right. So, that uh, no other doctrine that <coughs> Timothy is encouraged, you're charged with uh, making sure doesn't get taught. Um, that doctrine that Paul is referring to is the doctrine of the gospel. That Jesus Christ, he was crucified, he was resurrected for our sins, that we might live holy lives in fellowship with him. And we have to be diligent to keep each other from straying from the true doctrine. And also to take heed, this is obviously a letter to pastors, to teachers, um, so as you are listening to messages, I encourage you guys to check it with everything that you hear with uh, the Word of God and see if it matches up. And if it doesn't, um, be wary, because that can lead to all sorts of distractions, hindrances. So moving on, verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. So, right there, I really struggled with that verse for while I was studying. Was he talking about the commandment of you know to Timothy to stay there? Was he talking about the commandments that are in the Old Testament? What was Paul referring to? I had to go to Jamieson, Fawcett, and Brown, a good uh, resource. It's a good commentary. They pointed out that commandment there is the same Greek word that Paul used in verse 1. Um, the commandment of the gospel, of ministry. And I believe that's what Paul is referring to here, of the commandment. Um, the charge of the gospel. So, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. So love from a pure heart, where do we get love from a pure heart? It's from a clean conscience, right? We can't love each other uh, if we have guilt and shame and uh, that makes us want to hide and posture ourselves in front of other people, make each other 
feel better, put up a wall. That really puts a barrier between uh, us and other believers. So the way to get the way from pure love is um, good conscience. And the way to get a good conscience is sincere faith, just like it's laid out here. Sincere faith in God's redeeming work on the cross. That will clear your conscience. If, if you have any guilt that's hanging on, anything that you're ashamed of, it's a sincere faith that God took care of it, that Jesus took care of it on the cross, and that he's alive, resurrected, as proof that he took care of it, um, that will give you a clean conscience and will ultimately give you pure love to share with those around us. The love of Christ that he first showed us. All right, so verse 6. From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. When you turn aside from the message of the gospel, from the core message of the gospel, it's easy to turn into an idle talker. And idle talker, easiest way to think about it, uh, somebody comes up to you, how are you? Asks you, how are you? What's our automatic response? I'm good. I'm fine. Doing well. And if we are not living in the light, exposed to the light, we're not willing to to maybe bring up our weaknesses and our failures with each other. Um, and apparently this was happening. Um, and uh, I think really to be encouraged, the, the times that I've been encouraged in my faith the most is when I'm honest with somebody. You know, they ask, how are you? Or, you know, if, if the conversation goes that way, you know, and you get a chance to share where you're at, um, I'd encourage you guys, share, share your doubts as well as your, your, your strengths. Um, it goes a long way in building relationships and being encouraged. So apparently, the believers in Ephesus here, that Timothy is in charge of keeping in track of, uh, they wanted to take on the ministry of teaching, thinking it was a glorious thing. Trust me, it's terrible. <laughs> um, you know, there's Scripture says there's stricter judgment for people that that are that teach the word and it's really it really is a terrifying thing to think that you are responsible for absolutely every word that you're sharing um seems like some people don't realize that um and they failed really to understand what they said or affirmed and i'm going to look at romans 2:12 for that paul goes into a little detail about this very concept there he says for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day 
when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. So the, they here realize, they don't realize what they're sharing, that um, you know, the, the law of God written on, on men's hearts. So let's go on to verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So how do we use the law lawfully? Paul doesn't really go into detail, but he has explained before in other letters, the purpose of the law is a schoolmaster. It's to show us our sin and our need of a Savior, of Jesus Christ. Um, And the law is really the only scriptures that the early church had available. So that's the law. That's what these uh, people in Ephesus were desiring to, to teach um, from, but they, they didn't understand the heart of it. Um, so, but we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So who is it for? All of us without Christ. It's to show us that we need him, that we can't get by on our own. And that it's good. The law is good. God is the same of the New Testament and the Old Testament. He's the same guy. You read the Old Testament, you, you will see that Christ's love is there and his patience, long-suffering. Uh, but sometimes it gets mistaken for, for his approval, and then things go, things go bad. And an application here, when we look at this list, it's easy to, to feel a little condemned and to think, okay, well, maybe I don't know the law or maybe it's not doesn't apply to me as a New Testament believer. You and I really need to prayerfully seek the Holy Spirit to show how he wants us to observe the law. Um, the law is good. It's throughout the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. It's useful. God's Spirit is in it. And... I don't think it's right to dismiss the law, to dismiss the things in the law, but we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit there. Maybe spend some time praying and thinking, seeking Him about how He wants us to observe it. All right. We're going a lot quicker than I thought. Verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. 
and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Christ enabled Paul to do the ministry. Enabled Paul a sinful man, one who murdered Christians, persecuted the church, uh, was obsessed with the letter of the law, but didn't know the God behind it. Jesus has the power to change people. It's pretty obvious by looking at Paul's life. And if he can do that for Paul, a murderer, somebody who hated Christians, um, he can do that for you and I. That should give us hope, should give us encouragement that God is more than able to change you and I into uh, an obedient Christian. And before following Jesus, we sin because it's in our nature, right? And that's what Paul is saying here. It's in, it's in human nature to sin. And when we sin before having any knowledge of Christ, we do it ignorantly and in unbelief. Um, but if we habitually and willingly sin after knowing the grace of God, we shortchange that grace. And we can conclude that we can miss out on God using us. And that he will accomplish his means. He will, his word won't return void. And if we are walking in sin as believers, we are going to miss his using us. Um, But God is gracious and he loves us and he's merciful. And he will use you in the unperfect state that we all are in. So I would encourage you guys, if you are struggling with sin, come to him. Ask him to work in you, to change you, to conform you to his image. Verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now it's really easy to gloss over that verse, and we've heard it a million times. Um, If you've been anywhere within 100 yards of a church growing up. But it's important to note, Paul was the first one to claim this title. Uh, He was a pretty humble guy. He... He knew the Lord. He had an encounter with Christ firsthand. He was sent out specifically to minister from, from, by Christ. Uh, you know, we see that God desired to use him. And that could, if God desires to use anybody, that's an amazing thing. And in the light of the gospel, in the light of knowing Christ, we see that It exposes us to our sinful state, and Paul here is not lying when he says that 
You know, he believes that he is the chief of sinners. And the more the more we try in our own strength to come to the Lord and the more we uh, try to walk in our own strength, uh, you realize that you fail over and over and over and over and that there's nothing we can do but come to Christ and praise God that he is faithful to work in us and to continue the work that he started. So this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul sets himself here as an example in Christ's love and long-suffering. And that really is something to marvel at. That God in his infinite wisdom and mercy set somebody like Paul to show us the way, to show us that God isn't weak, that he, he can be trusted, that he fills us with his strength when we don't really have any. And uh, I can attest to that in my own life. I know I'm, uh, I'm currently in school as well as working. And this week, preparing for finals, preparing for uh, the message today, uh, I was stressing out about pretty much everything. And came to the point where I had to just stop what I was doing you know, spend some time with, with my wife and, and just pray and ask God, you know, I am having a hard time and being honest with it. And uh, the minute that I gave it up to the Lord and quit worrying on my own, you know, God God gave me peace. And that's that's a beautiful thing. And that's, you know, it's just a... A picture, something small like that, you know, where you're stressing out or anything, and, and the Lord really provides for you and shows you His strength. He will be your strength when you don't have any. I say that for a fact. And again, you know, Paul brings up. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. God is patient, a lot more patient than we are. And he's got everything figured out when we have nothing figured out. And that's something to marvel and not take lightly. Uh, but we have to be careful not to mistake his long-suffering for approval if we're in sin, if we're not seeking him, if we're not doing his will. And I know, for me, if I'm not daily seeking God, uh, spending time figuring out who He is through His Word, uh, things go quiet and, it, and, and you can leave the state of your soul unattended for a while. And God is usually pretty patient. But 
we have to remember that in the end we're, we're going to give account for what we've done. So we need to be diligent to seek God's grace and his mercy. All right. Verse 17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He is to be praised for what he's done. All right. That's about it that I've got here. I'm going to read. I have this wonderful little book. It's the New Testament uh, in modern English by J.B. Phillips. It's a, it's a translation. Uh, I'd encourage you guys, when you're studying scriptures, to go through. Take a look at what other people how they have translated the letters. Um, find one that you trust and then compare it with other translations. It really gives you a fuller picture, can give you a fuller picture of what's being said. But I was going to read what we just went through to recap. Because when I, when I ramble, I tend to forget what I read earlier. So, Paul, Jesus Christ's messenger by command of God our Savior, in Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am repeating in this letter the advice I gave you just before I went to Macedonia and urged you to stay at Ephesus. I wanted you to do this so that you could order certain persons to stop inventing new doctrines and to leave hoary old myths and, inter- and interminable genealogies alone. Such things lead men to speculation rather than to ordered living, which results from faith in God. The ultimate aim of the Christian ministry, after all, is to produce the love which springs from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a genuine faith. Some seem to have forgotten this and to have lost themselves in endless words. They want a reputation as teachers of the law, yet they fail to realize the meaning of their own words, still less the subject they are so dogmatic about. We know, of course, that the law is good in itself and has a legitimate function. Yet we also know that the law is not really meant for the good man, but for the man who has neither principles nor self-control, for the man who is really wicked, who has neither scruples nor reverence. Yet the law is directed against the sort of people who attack their own parents, who kill their fellows, who are sexually uncontrolled or perverted, who traffic in the bodies of others. It is against liars and perjurers. In fact, it is against any and every action which contradicts the wholesome teaching of the glorious gospel, which our blessed God has given us and entrusted to me. I am deeply grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord, to whom I owe all that I have accomplished for trusting me enough to appoint me his minister, despite the fact that I had previously blasphemed his name, persecuted his church, and insulted him. I believe he was merciful to me because what I did was done in the ignorance of a man without faith. Our Lord poured out his grace upon me, giving me tremendous faith in and love for himself. This statement is completely reliable and should be universally accepted. Christ Jesus entered the world to rescue sinners. I realize that I was the worst of them all, and that because of this very fact, 
God was particularly merciful to me. It was a kind of demonstration of the extent of Christ's patience towards the worst of men to serve as an example to all who in the future should trust him for eternal life. So, to the King of all the ages, the immortal, invisible, and only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you that your word does not return void, that despite who we are, you will accomplish your means for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that this morning your kingdom would be advanced, that we would go away encouraged, seeking you, and loving each other. Jesus, please bless the rest of our days and this week that we might serve you and not forget who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you for the reminder from the encouragement that you save and love sinners, of which we all belong to that group. Thank you for your love and long-suffering. In Jesus' name, amen.